In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints, today Jesus tells us the parable of the workers in the vineyard. Uh, The vineyard owner hires men to work in his vineyard at varying times throughout the day. Some worked 11 hours, some nine, some five, and others just one hour. And at the end of the day, when it comes time to pay them all, he pays them all the same. He pays them a full day's wage, a denarius. It didn't matter what they accomplished, how long they worked, how much sweat was dripping off of their face. The master says, am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? The Greek here is a little better. It says, or is your eye evil because I'm good? Now, the focus of this parable is not on the ones who worked only one hour and received the full day's wage, which is true and a wonderful thing that we will consider later. But the focus of this parable is on the ones who worked the entire day and received the day's wage as the master promised. It focuses on their evil eyes, their anger, their envy, their resentment. Jesus doesn't just tell us the reaction of those who worked one hour, which he doesn't tell us the reaction of those who worked one hour. Uh, Although we can assume that they're pretty stoked that for one hour of work, they get paid for the whole day, right? But he does tell us the reaction of those who worked the entire day. He says, now when those hired came first, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius and on receiving it, They grumbled against the master, against the master of the house, saying, these last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. So you can imagine why these guys are quite upset. Their outrage actually makes sense to us. It's perfectly reasonable to expect that those who were hired first, who worked the longest, who bore the heat of the day, accomplished more, would receive more than those who didn't. And in fact, this is no way to run a business. You pay employees for the hours they work and you don't pay them for the hours they don't work. To do otherwise is just foolishness and and chaos. And that's how this world works. That's how your jobs work. That's how life works. Every corporation works this way. But Jesus isn't talking about how to run a business here. He's talking about how he runs his kingdom. And his kingdom is not of this world. He rules his kingdom, his church, through grace alone. And that, that makes people, certain people, very, very upset. Um, In an article from 2017 published in the Washington Post by Garrison Keillor, Uh, some of you might know him as the former host of the Prairie Home Companion, uh, who's also a nominal Lutheran. Uh, The article he wrote is called, uh, Trump Has Me Searching for a New Religion. And in this article, he writes how terrible it was that so many evangelicals voted for Donald Trump. 
Anyway, he goes on to write about all the different religions and how he's not satisfied with any of them, so he's trying to find a new religion. And then he says Buddhism is just way too passive, it's too quiet. Hinduism is too vegetarian, he wants more meat. Islam and Judaism is too complicated, there's too many rules to follow, and so on. And then he criticizes Christianity, which he came from. And he says this, My parents were Bible-believing Christians. But I don't get the parable where the latecomers get the same pay as the early birds. And also the part about lust in your heart being the same as committing adultery itself. Where did that come from? A Christian who believes in those things is not going to be a happy person. End quote. As he criticizes the laws of other religions, you see here that for us, he's criticizing grace, the very gospel itself, the heart and center of Christianity itself. The stumbling block for him is the severity of sin and the abounding grace of God. Now, this sort of thinking is quite common. If you've ever talked to ex Christians or uh, Christians who have uh, grown up in the church and then fallen away from the faith, who later abandon it, they all, all of them, every single one of them finds the idea of salvation to be absurd, to be completely ridiculous and unfair. They usually say, will say something like this and throw out this hypothetical situation saying, look, so you're telling me if Hitler after all the wicked and evil things he did, were to genuinely convert and repent of his sins the moment right before he died, he's going to heaven. But if I live a good life, a very good life, I don't do anything wrong, I don't murder anyone, I don't uh, commit genocide, but I don't believe in Jesus, that means I'm going to hell. To which we would reply, yes. That's exactly right. That's exactly it. Because we are saved by grace alone and not by works. Ephesians 2, chapter 2, 8 through 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Romans 3 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Those who truly repent of their sin and trust in the Lord, no matter at what point in their life this happened, whether it was the first day in baptism or the last breath they had in their lungs, they will be received into heaven. Even more, God gives us an example, many examples of this truth. David commits adultery and murders Uriah. Nathan calls out his sin. David repents and the Lord forgives him. Even though Paul murdered the children of God and blasphemed God, Christ converted him, Paul repented, and Paul was, Saul turned to Paul, was made a child of God by grace through faith. Alone. The thief that was crucified with Jesus, with our Lord, who made a living stealing and robbing, whose entire reputation was to take away from people who were weaker than him, whose 
reputation was ruined by his past sins, who didn't have enough time to do good works in that moment, who was now incapable of living a good life while he's nailed to the cross and bleeding out ready to die. In his final moments, he simply says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says to him, Amen, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. This is a beautiful truth. This is the gospel that God saves us apart from our works and by his grace alone. Now, I won't go into it much in detail here. I've preached about this in other sermons. But don't, don't take God's grace and forgiveness for granted. And don't try to time your repentance to see if you can get away with living a life of sin and then try to repent before you die. Tomorrow is not promised. David, Paul, and that thief didn't plan out their conversion and repentance. It was grace alone that that happened. God was gracious to them. And as great and as wonderful as this is, remember there, that there are millions more who died before they could repent with these same thoughts, who didn't even know what to believe in when their final moment came. Even more, you're not responsible for your own conversion or your repentance or your faith. It's not by your strength or your reason. You can't just switch it on and off. So if you're tempted to try this, don't. Don't even think this way. Repent of such a thought. Uh, that's all I'm going to say about that now, but that is a very, very serious warning. The truth is we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone. And that's what this parable teaches. Romans chapter 4 says it clearly. To the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. God counts righteousness apart from works. And this is what makes the world so angry. And this is the stumbling block that 1 Corinthians speaks of the gospel, the, the cross being the stumbling block for the Jew and the Gentile. The world finds this grace so foolish and unfair and the things so unhappy about being a Christian. So the question is, who exactly finds this offensive? It's those who think that their works can win the Lord's favor, that they will merit salvation. So if you think that good works are the way into heaven, then you will be very angry like those workers to find out that they're not. If you trust in your works to gain anything from God, then you will be completely scandalized by the gospel. Those who are angry at God's grace consider religion and the Christian life as a job, a task, some labor that you have to accomplish. For so, for so many, the kingdom of God is is and works exactly like every other business in this world. You put in the hours and you get paid accordingly. Now, this is certainly what the world thinks and what those who have fallen out of the faith think. But this, Zion, is what you need to be very, very careful with. You need to be careful to not fall into this way of thinking. And this is where it becomes dangerous. The longer the longer, the more years you spend being a Christian, the longer you're a Christian, the more tempted you are by your sin and by the world and by the devil to be angry and frustrated with the grace that God gives. 
You're tempted to think that your works do earn you something from the Lord, that they make you more valuable in some sense than those around you, more, worth more than them. You're tempted to think that God must owe you something else as if the forgiveness of sins he freely gives is not, as if it's earned, and it, as if you've earned it and it's not good enough. You're tempted to think that the Christian life is simply some unhappy endeavor to grumble about, that the entire life is a waste of time. So for those of you who came into the kingdom of God as children who were baptized as infants and have been living the Christian life your entire life, you certainly have done a lot of work in the Lord's vineyard. You've had to bear the cross that Christ gives you. You've served the Lord in faithfulness year in and year out. You've gotten the short end of the stick in this life by forgiving people who sin against you, who hurt you left and right. You've endured the embarrassment of confessing your sins and weeping over them. You've avoided sin. You've fought temptation. You sweat and you toil to live according to the law of God. You deny yourself the pleasures and the indulgences of this life. You live a life of generosity, you volunteer, and you give your hard-earned money uh, to the church and to those who are in need. And this is true of so many of you. Some of you have been Christians longer than I've been alive, than others have been alive, and you've lived a life full of good works. But then you see the deathbed converts and the lazy sinners who spent most of their lives despising God. And those who spent decades indulging in whatever sin that they wanted without consequence or care in their mind. Who spent their money on themselves, their addictions, their pleasure, and you see them step foot into the church. And then you see that God treats them equally to you as those who have been laboring their entire lives. You see the ones who hurt you, who caused you so much pain and anguish, who were your enemies, walk into church. And you see that God gives them the same amount of forgiveness, life, and salvation as those who have been there since the beginning. If this thought makes you upset or uncomfortable a little, then repent. The world sees this and they get angry, but we should see this and rejoice. You would do well to remember that to work in the vineyard, that is to live the Christian life, is is a privilege that God has called you to do. It's not something you do to gain a reward. So don't fool yourself into thinking that you're doing God a favor by living the Christian life and following the Ten Commandments. On the contrary, God is doing you a favor by calling you to live the life he's called you to live right now, which is the best life you could live, the most fulfilling, the most joyful, the most meaningful life that you can imagine. There is no more meaningful life than the Christian life. There's nothing more satisfying or purposeful than that. The kingdom of heaven doesn't depend upon you. You depend upon it. He hasn't called you by the gospel because he needs you or he needs your work. He called you because he doesn't want you standing idly by in this life and he wants you to be with him and to belong to him. So repent and rejoice that God is so gracious and kind to people who don't deserve it. He shows the same amount of grace and favor to those who don't deserve it as he does to you. 
all those whom God has called by the gospel are paid the same, not with gold or silver, but with the precious blood of Christ. He pays you not according to your work, but the work of Christ accomplished on the cross, according to his generous heart that gave himself up unto death for you. No matter how many or how few good works follow your name, God rewards you with all the forgiveness that Christ won, all of the salvation, all of the glory, and all of the blessedness that he earned for you. Your good works are not the cause of your salvation, but they are the result of your salvation. You don't do good works to get into the vineyard. You work because you're already there. So don't count on them. And don't look down on others because the Lord has blessed them with the same salvation he has given to you because they have less good works than you, because they don't have a a full life as you do. If you see your enemies suddenly show up in church, if you see the ones who once lived a shameful life sitting next to you in the seat next to you, don't get angry because that's the best place in the world for them to be. Rejoice that God looks upon you with favor and love. He looks at you and he is delighted with you, not because of anything you've done, but because of his generous and good heart. Rejoice that he does not determine. He does not determine his love or his mercy upon the good works that you have accomplished this week or this year or your entire life. And rejoice that God will neither reject you for your sin or your lethargy or laziness or selfishness throughout your life either. He does not consider it. He forgives it. And he does what he wants with what is his. And he gives you everything he wants to give you in Christ. Amen. Hear the words of the hymn we just sang. Salvation unto us has come by God's free grace and favor. Good works cannot avert our doom. They help and they save us never. Faith looks to Jesus Christ alone who did for all the world atone. He is our one redeemer. Since Christ has full atonement made and brought to us salvation, each Christian therefore may be glad and build on this foundation. Your grace alone, dear Lord, I plead. Your death is now my life indeed, for you have paid my ransom. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.